Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. And welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm the host, Cindy House. Thanks for finding us. Today we're going to be talking to Caroline Spence. But before we get into that, I invite you and encourage you to sign up for our monthly newsletter at our website, basicfolk.com. Or you can follow us on social media at basicfolkpod. We are a listener-powered podcast. You can make a financial contribution by going to basicfolk.com slash donate. Okay, here we go. Caroline Spence, originally from Charlottesville, Virginia. She came from this really cool family that always seemed to be messing around with music, either listening or playing music. She's recently been discovering and sharing home movies from when she was a kid, scooting around in diapers on a guitar case, singing with her grandfather and mother. The clips which she used in the video for Clean Getaway were a gift in which she was able to see her true personality and genuine love of music from a young age. She was emboldened to perform and write by her musical aunt, who invited Caroline to open for her as a teenager. She came to Nashville for a job in the music industry and slowly started putting herself out there as a songwriter for other musicians. Her writing is based in honesty, and she opens up about her relationship to the truth in our conversation. We also get into how she had to develop ego, why it matters, and how she let herself have access to ego. We discuss her love of flowers and how she relates the songs on her new album, True North, to different kinds of flowers. Caroline is an avid reader of Mary Oliver and even has a new song named after her as the poet feels devotional and spiritual to her. Enjoy Caroline Spence and we'll listen to that song, which is stuck in my head basically every day. This is Mary Oliver and then we'll get to our conversation with Caroline Spence on Basic Folk. So nice to talk to you. Welcome to Basic Folk. Thank you for having me. First of all, let's compare rings, because you posted a picture of your ring. 
Ooh. And they're like very similar. Well, once we actually get married, I'll have a ring guard that makes it like a circle like yours. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I got to see that. Hopefully we'll meet in person. And I'll be able to see it in person. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I'm so happy to talk to you. I love your new record. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, you are originally from Charlottesville, Virginia, and came from this cool family that always seemed to be like messing around with music in all sorts of ways, listening and playing music together. Can you set the scene for what that looked like? Um, well, my mom and my dad both happen to have what I consider to be pretty good taste in music, although I'm sure there were times growing up that I didn't feel that way. Um, <laughs> so music was always playing in our house, and then my mom's dad loved to play guitar for fun. My mom's sister wrote songs and sang, and so it was the bigger family gatherings that really sort of encouraged um, the performance side of things. And so I think even before my memories began, um, music was a part of my life. I've gotten to see some home footage of me like singing with my grandfather when I was like three and mm. it all sort of makes sense, uh, that my interests turned out the way that they did. Hmm. How did the way your whole family treated music growing up impact the way you treat music in terms of listening, playing, or writing? Um, well, my mom has said recently, she was like, I think I would have thought that you were more special earlier if the rest of the family wasn't also so interested in that stuff and could also sort of play. And so I think I grew up with it being just this thing that brought me comfort, that was fun, that was something we did together. Um, and because of that, it was sort of, I think I fell in love with it in a way that had nothing to do with a career or anything sort of self-serving in that way. I think I, I was encouraged to fall in love with it because it was like a wonderful way to spend your time. Um, hmm. my mom's a beautiful writer, you know, was like working on her MFA when she got pregnant with me. And, um, I was always encouraged to, you know, express and to create. And so I grew up in a very encouraging environment in that way. Hmm. Do you have any siblings? I have a younger brother. Cool. Growing up, I heard you talking about how your dad went to and took you to a lot of con concerts that he would drive you to all of the shows all around Virginia. Mm -hmm. What was it like to see a concert with your dad as a kid? And I don't know if, if you could answer this or not, but how has that impacted your concert going experience? Well, my dad grew up in Charlottesville as well. Um, and when he was growing up there, all the big bands came and played the university. And when I was growing up, we didn't have that same kind of infrastructure. Now Charlottesville has, I mean, incredible, it's always has incredible venues, but we've got some really big ones now. Um, and so my dad, knowing my love of music and fostering that love of music would absolutely drive me. We went to Norfolk, we went to DC, we went to all this stuff. And he always said it was because he felt bad that we had to go anywhere. So he wanted me to still have that same experience. Um, 
And half the time he'd like drop us off and go around the corner from the 930 club and go to a sports bar and pick us up at 11 o'clock. And, you know, (laughs) so it really allowed me to have this kind of, uh, I don't know, the, the, there's nothing like live music. And when you're young and you are impressionable in that way, I mean, I just think going to those shows completely solidified my love for music and, you know, Mm. proved that it was just as powerful um, you know, I felt the same way listening to like, you know, Death Cab for Cutie sing those songs in the 930 Club than I did like in my bedroom, you know, so it was mm. really special that my dad encouraged that. Yeah, that's cool that he would not like he just would drop you off and let you go to the concerts. Like, I'm thinking I'm a little bit older than you. And thinking about like, I grew up in the like, I was a teenager in the 90s. And like thinking, I don't know if my mom or dad ever like dropped me off at like a terribly embarrassing concert. Um, but like what kind of shows were you asking your dad to take you to that he was like, you know what, I'm going to go to the sports bar while you, you kids <laughs> enjoy this rock and roll. Well, that was when I was like old enough, um, you know, probably when I was old enough to drive, but he wouldn't let me drive to D.C. with my friends or whatever. But like we saw... Quite a few shows at 9.30, and then there's a great club in Norfolk, Virginia called the Norva, and those were a few of the, like, that's where, like, all the, like, indie rock bands would play when they came through Virginia. So I saw, like, Bright Eyes and The Shins and, like, The Decembrists and all Mm. of the, you know, iPod playlist all-stars. That's cool. Um, You missed the rap rock of the 90s. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You are an avid reader. Um, you love fiction and I heard, I think you were talking to Kim Rule, um, on the Why We Write podcast that you read every morning, which is cool. I do that too. I like leave my phone in a different room and then like try to read. And right now I'm reading East of Eden and I love it. (gasps) Oh my gosh. That's like my top five favorite book. I just reread it uh, for the second or third time in 2020. I love that book. Um, right now I am reading a book called The Little Friend by Donna Tartt. She's the woman that wrote The Goldfinch, and I'd never read that, and I devoured that in 2020 and have just been working my way through her work. Um, and I usually read, like, one fiction and one nonfiction, and so I'm reading Atomic Habits as my nonfiction right now by James Mm. Clear, who we, I actually went to college with him, believe it or not. Oh, cool. So, yeah, uh... Yeah, so I read in the morning because that's the only time my brain isn't broken into five million pieces. <laughs> yeah. Because by the end of the day, I can't, I can't, uh, my attention span is just kind of ruined, I think. Yeah, totally. Um, and you were talking about how your mom uh, was working on her MFA when um, you were born um, and, and is a writer. How did she share that love of writing and reading with you as you were becoming a reader? And then what is that shared love like today? Um, Well, we definitely were read to a lot as kids. Um, So that was very much a part of kind of the family dynamic, too. My dad's mom also worked at one of the independent bookstores in Charlottesville and so books were like a normal gift kind of thing and like that was sort of a (laughs) little playground and we weren't allowed to go to Barnes and Noble but whatever (laughs) 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 indie bookstores forever um but yeah I uh I don't know I always enjoyed writing as a kid 
and um, I actually ran into my third grade teacher at a show in my hometown a couple weeks ago, and he said that he remembered me being, like, always really excited when we were working on, like, creative writing kind of stuff, even as a kid, um, which my mom has shared as well. So, again, I think she sort of led by example. She's a reader, and... Um, yeah, it was a completely reasonable way to spend your time. She never mm. was like, you should go outside and play basketball, which we did. But she was like, if you want to get lost in a book, that's totally fine with me. You've been posting some home movies from when you were a kid of you making music with your family, which we were talking about a little bit earlier. And you also used those home movies for the video Clean Getaway um, and you said, I got to see that my interests and personality really haven't changed much at all. What's it like for you to watch those videos and what have they taught you about yourself and your family? Well, one of the most um, incredible things that happened with those, I, I kind of mentioned, you know, the relationship with music even before my memories. And uh, Oh, yeah, when you're scooting think, around on a guitar case? Yeah, yeah, exactly. A brand new so little baby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's my mom's dad, who I called Poppy, and um, there is a video that we uncovered that it's him, like, playing an acoustic guitar, and he would say, okay, Caroline, what's this one called? And I'm maybe, like, three and a half, and I'm like, um, this one's called uh, uh, The Snake Song, and he's like, okay, let's play The Snake Song. Is it slow or is it fast? And I think, and I say, it's fast. So he just starts playing chords, and I just start singing on top of what he's doing and I watched that yeah I watched that (laughs) and it made me so emotional because that is how I have written my entire life and I had no idea that it started with him and he passed away before I ever um like played my own songs or performed really and it always Mm -hmm. really made me sad that like you know he never got to see me do this in a way because he would have been so delighted but like it is absolutely the origin of how I engage with songwriting is because my grandfather was just like, all right, let's make it up and let's make it fun. And I'd absolutely have done that my entire life for mm. fun. <laughs> oh, I love that. Something about you that comes out in the video for Clean Getaway is that you're really funny and kind of silly, but like in a really subtle way, like the parts where you're like in the arcade, like you're quietly celebrating after you like get a basket (laughs) in like the basketball game. You're like, yes, your humor comes out on your Instagram feed where you post videos of your fiance dancing with your dog, which they that they're good. They're great together. Um, (laughs) They really are. They're quite the couple. Mm -hmm. My mom has a little rat terrier. Roxy looks a little bit like a terrier, like kind of a kind of a terrier. And I I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's like a terrier thing, but Ginny is also a pretty good little dancer. Not not as good as Roxy. (laughs) Roxy was blowing me away. Anyways, um, another thing that I thought was really funny. Well, it was a lot of things like your interactions with TikTok. You where you call it the TikTok store, and you have clocks. Uh, behind you and you knit and you call yourself grandma caroline anyways i obviously made a list of like things that i thought were like hilarious um but you have a a great like kind of quiet sense of humor and playfulness 
Where do you think that comes from? And then I don't know if it at all like impacts your writing. It's clearly like impacting like your music videos, but I don't know if it ever makes its way into your writing. I never thought about that. I love when people ask me stuff I've never thought about. Um, I think that, I mean, I love comedy and I love comedians and I love that kind of stuff. And I got to say, my family's really funny. Like we're a goofy family. And I think, you know, humor is a type of creativity because you kind of have to like broaden your, your like lens through which you're looking at the world to like include the bizarre and like all of that stuff um to be funny in my opinion and I think also in order to be a good writer you also have to do that and kind of like scour the depths and the mundane and stuff like that um Mm. because that's the stuff that we all have in common so I don't think that it's that's a surprising I guess maybe that I'm funny I suppose because I I also like am not afraid of um I don't know I'm not afraid of kind of being vulnerable in my songs and I think being funny takes a certain amount of vulnerability too because some of it's self-deprecating but um I also think like you know I really when people come see me in concert like that's you know, my personality is not as heavy as some of the things I'm singing about. And so I welcome the, like, opportunity to, like, paint this full picture of, like, you know, what an artist can be, which is, like, a very, you know, entertaining person to be around in a couple Mm. different ways. So um, thanks for thinking I'm funny. I at least laugh at my own jokes, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think they're related. It's like how they say like a comedic actor is actually a really great dramatic actor because you're like, you have to like, I think maybe there's a, um, some analysis there to be, you know, drawn for songs. Like John Prine is a great example of that, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You started writing songs as a teenager, uh, kind of doing it in secret. And you mentioned, you talk about her a couple of times, your aunt's. Um, mm-hmm. was performing your mom's sister was a performing musician she kind of asked you to play your first show opening for her which you did uh, she also taught you some guitar she was an audio engineer worked in Nashville worked at Asylum Records she had a big impact on you what was it like to have someone like her in your family that you could look up to and then like how was her example helpful in showing your family that music was a viable career? I think the fact that she came before me in my family made it possible for me to imagine a career and pursue a career. Also, she she's just such a special person, and she really meets everyone where they are. She just kind of noticed I was getting into music and she just sort of quietly encouraged me like even as it was just so normal to like go over to Lisa's and like play guitar or like record something for fun and it was never like you're gonna be a star it was like let's make a thing and she did make me feel like things were possible and that I had something to offer even as a young person um and so I think I owe her like 
you know, so much uh, for helping me, you know, figure out how to build a life as a creative person. I don't think I'd be who I am today without her. That's for damn sure. <laughs> mm, what's her full name? Lisa Robertson. Does she still perform and record? No, she doesn't. Well, she does in Virginia. Um, she, for um, fun with some friends kind of around the wineries and stuff, she still does it. But she, her other gift is that, um, you know, she worked in social work and as a counselor. And she just has a really kind of magical healing presence. She's one of those... You know, yeah, she makes you a better person, and that's definitely what she does for me. You moved to Nashville not to be a musician, but for a job at a record label. Is that, am I getting that right? Kind of. It was sort of the excuse. Um, I got an internship at Compass Records, which is Bluegrass label, um, through the bluegrass program at my college, which I was a part of. Um, oh, yeah. Where did you go to that, college? Uh, Denison University. Okay. Yeah. And I was in, there was a bluegrass ensemble, which was like a one credit ensemble you could take every semester. And I did it for six semesters and um, met Allison Brown and Gary when they came and played the festival and applied for an internship and that was my excuse to come to Nashville I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my English degree but I figured you know that'd be a fun place to figure it out Mm -hmm. and yeah just sort of quietly went through all my songs behind the scenes to figure out if they were good and stuff until I thought maybe they were (laughs) yeah it's my understanding that you kind of like laid low in terms of your own music for a while but you would go see a ton of music for the first couple years you were in town Mm -hmm. what did that kind of um delay and that experience do to inform your writing and your musicality well I I just wanted to figure out what this place was and I moved to town with a fiddler friend her name's Lauren Sachs and she's still fiddling her butt off and um, we would go to the old time fiddle jam or old time jam at Five Spot that used to happen on Wednesdays, I think. And I just I could sing enough bluegrass that I could like hop in and sing for fun. But it was mainly like that's where I met people, and um, I think building community was the unexpected benefit of just like not focusing on building whatever my artistry was was just meeting people and learning from them and um, getting to know the town that way. Mm -hmm. And um, it also kind of showed me that, like, how good everybody is. And I would come home from, like, going to see a friend play and be like, I got to work, man. There are Mm -hmm. a lot of people writing some really good songs and, like, I want to be one of them. So it definitely kind of kicked my ass in the best way. I don't know if I would have, like how things would have turned out if I, Mm. you know, didn't sort of take a step back and listen. Yeah. In terms of like your own singing voice, um, there was a time in that period where you just could discover that you could sing like in a way that you liked. And you said that in the last few years, you've realized that you are a singer. Can you Mm -hmm. speak to the evolution of like that relationship with your singing voice? Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of goes... Back to, you know, the fact that my family can kind of all do that. And I always sort of sang as in, like, 
you know, I sing in the choirs and the acapella groups. It's like felt like the same as like being on the soccer team, you know, like it was something I did versus something that was unique to me. Like, I think um, I didn't really know that my voice was like different or like that it was what's the word? I don't know. I didn't know that Dazzling. I, that was something. <laughs> That's so nice. Um, I didn't know it was something. I knew it was something that was so unique to me, but that always was something I felt kind of self-conscious about. Um, and then when I moved to town, but I always got compliments on my voice, but I was like, yeah, because I like have good pitch or whatever. Like I was kind of thought that was what it was. But I started playing in town and like that would be the thing that people commented on. And I was like, interesting. Like I've always... I just hadn't looked at my voice. I I wasn't, I was trying to be a really good songwriter. Um, and I mean, honestly, like it's just been the last few years of just touring so much. Like your voice is a muscle and you, when you're using it every day, you get to know it and you build it and it gets stronger. And I think for me, I figured out what I was working with. And I think I know my instrument well now. Mm. Um, and it's singing is so joyful. And when people say like, I love to sing, but I can't, I'm like, if you love to sing, that's it. It is the most like <laughs> joyful thing you can let yourself do. So yeah, I'm a singer. <laughs> Your writing is based in honesty, just to give, it's like a, the headline of Caroline's <laughs> writing based in honesty. What's been your relationship to honesty like has it come uh easy for you like what's that evolution looked like um I think with the way that I first started really trying to write songs um like many people I, I you know it was a teenage thing and it really was an outlet I had there was a very very hard season of my family's life and um when I was in high school and I that's when I started writing and it was very much it was a place to yeah just to process and to feel and so that in itself is started as a very very honest relationship and for better or for worse I haven't been ever able to turn that off <laughs> mm, mm. um so yeah I I wrote to like save my life basically when I was like 15 16 that's really what I feel like it did for me um and I feel like it's still that it's such a sacred space that I've been able to carve out for myself um and it's you know that's something I still feel very protective of even though the industry sometimes feels like it doesn't (laughs) care about Mm. honesty as much as being cool but that feels very, that relationship, that honest relationship for me feels very sacred and very important. Yeah, your approach to writing is to tackle hard things. Like you'll write about what you don't know as a way to ask questions as opposed to like writing about what you do know. So can you actually talk about what's that, what that is like for you using your writing process to figure out answers? Well, I think the reason why I sit down or have an idea is to, like, try and understand something that I don't understand 
or like write about something that feels hard or fascinating. And I think the number one thing I write about is relationships in that as an example, which is like, you know, I'm in a long-term relationship. We've been together nearly seven years. And even though I, I know this person, there's constantly stuff to write about because you are always in flow and in flux with everything around you. And so there's just like, um, you know, an endless fertile ground to write about. So I think that that's why I write about what I don't know is because I think even the things I do know, there's always like another leaf to turn over and discover Mm. something new. Um, And also like, I think that writing in that way humbles you in like, I never want my songs to be authoritative because I don't know anything. Um, And like the art that I do love, like Mary Oliver, for instance, like she as a poet goes out every day, you know, and takes a walk to try and discover something new and humbles herself to her environment and observes. And that's really how I want to function is to humble myself as a person, observe my life and share the little things I do notice with other people. Mm. Long setup for this question about ego. Uh, (laughs) On Zach Lupin's podcast, which you recorded a couple of years ago or last year, Mm -hmm. you were talking about how you don't find ego attractive in a partner and that previously you did not think of yourself as like an artist-brained person and you would make yourself small and put up with bigger egos than you would now. And then on Kim's podcast, you said there is a little bit of ego you have to have to even be introspective enough to create. You have to value your own worldview in a way that might make people uncomfortable. Basically, like, you have to develop ego. You have to mm-hmm. grab it and, and cultivate it. So when you started performing, writing, and recording, how did you let yourself have access to your ego, and how did you let yourself be an artist? I think... Um, this is a really interesting question. Um, I think I developed that by being told no and being, and having a feeling about that, that I didn't like, you know, I remember my second record spades and roses, everybody in the entire world passed on it. And I got these weird like reasons why and I just would get this gut feeling like f y'all you know (laughs) like I was like (laughs) no um and maybe that's ego I think that's ego but I hadn't felt that before before I had felt oh I must have done something wrong that wasn't good enough yeah it must be me it must be me And with that album, I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew how I wanted to make it. I knew the, like, kind of door I wanted to kick through emotionally or whatever. And I knew that that was the best possible thing I could have made at that moment, and I was deeply proud of it. And if someone was going to come to me and say, we're not going to sign you because we have too many women, I'm not going to spend a moment 
questioning what I made. So I think for me, ego and value are like self-worth are tied. Um, Mm. And I think if you, you can overvalue yourself and then your ego becomes problematic. But I think I spent too many years not valuing myself Mm -hmm. and what I did um, just because I wasn't able to get the industry support that other people got. Um, Mm. And I think that for those of us that were raised as women, we're sort of taught to be, to defer to others, to be a sounding board and then react. Like that has sort of been my experience with my feminine socialization. And, you know, uh, I'm doing the work to sort of undo that in my Mm. career of allowing myself to feel worthy and to Mm. say, not just thank you for like giving me this seat at the table, but be like, I also have a table. Would you like to sit down? So Mm. yeah, it's been a journey, but I think that ego is not a bad thing in a way. And I think for a while I did. It's all those sad boys you were listening to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Your previous album, Mint Condition, had you dwelling on embracing imperfectionism. And this new album, you seem to have like embraced it fully and elevated it by loudly proclaiming who you are. Um, What did going through these two album cycles about embracing messy things within you do to your relationship with yourself? Um, The thing that the biggest gift that this job has given me as like a person is like okay so as a fan of music the things that I love I hear and I'm like oh my gosh I love this this means so much to me because someone's expressing a feeling and I feel it as well I love this music that's healing I didn't expect the reverse to be possible of like me sharing a song And the audience being like, oh my God, that song meant so much to me. I can't believe you said what I felt. And Mm -hmm. that is, as a person who felt really alone when creating that song from a really raw place, Mm -hmm. to hear that from a room full of people has been so life-affirming, just as like a human. I think I've gotten to see that the more, the things that make us feel completely alone are actually the things that we all have in common. And so these things that I was self-conscious about in my music, which was the honesty, which was the vulnerability, which was the it being emotional, I now know that is my thing that I do well. If not, that's the thing I do best. And mm-hmm. so my sort of commitment with this record was to be that person, to live up to that gift and not second guess because... You know, the label doesn't want another slow song. That slow song could save somebody's life. You just never know. So um, that's that's what I feel like these last two records have taught me is that my strength is my vulnerability. And I really have to work hard to protect that, I think, Mm. if I want to keep doing this. Man, you are not disappointing me as an interviewee. (laughs) This is great i'm having a blast 
Um, Thank you for such good <laughs> questions. Of course. On True North, you picked out flowers based on your experience with each song. And in the album artwork, there's a pullout poster with all the flowers for every song. Um, and they're for the songs and to represent your time in the garden these past few years. Um, I love that so much. What's your relationship to growing things and why flowers for the songs? What has your yard taught you? There you go. Seven questions in one. <laughs> I love it. Um, I always thought I might be a gardener. Um, I never had time to because I was touring. I had never owned a house before. It felt like a waste to plant in someone else's yard. Um, but I bought a house in 2019 and I sure did do a lot of living in it in 2020 and uh, made myself a garden. And as has sort of been referenced, I am a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to like myself and there is no perfection. You can't be a perfectionist in the garden because mother nature is already perfect and she's going to do what she wants. And it doesn't matter how much you research. It doesn't matter how much you water, like something is going to mess up and you kind of have to let it go and just let it be what it is. And then be delighted when something happens. Um, so for me, it's been an incredible exercise in letting go and mm. observation and being delighted in small things. Um, and so that's what gardening is for me is like a practice in that. And it's also one of the few places where like, I need no stimulation. I don't listen to music. I'm like just there. Um, and so it's been a really healing thing for me. It's like brought me down to basics in a way that I think I really needed. Um, and as for flowers, uh, I just fell in love with growing. I threw these zinnias in the ground and didn't even water them for six months. My like first, you know, year of gardening and they still, they were everywhere. Like I just absolutely planted this like zinnia forest and it was totally <laughs> magical. Um, and that sort of taught me just what a small delight, you know, bringing a flower into your house is. And like, that's just a little moment, um, that I just fell in love with over and over again. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Mary Oliver, it opens the album True North and kind of proclaims your thesis of the record and again hat tip to Kim Rule who you talked uh, to on Why <laughs> We Write um, where you're saying I'm only ever going to sit down with my guitar and sing about things I don't understand um, and you've said that Mary Oliver feels when you read Mary Oliver it feels more like a devotion it feels spiritual can you talk about your relationship to her work, how she became so important to you, and that spiritual connection you feel to her poetry? Um, her work, I'm pretty sure my mom showed me Wild Geese at some point in high school. That's sort of her classic. It's sort of the like, oh, the places you'll go of <laughs> <laughs> poems. Um but I studied creative writing in college and so read a lot of poems. She wasn't really considered like, like I couldn't really do a project on her. She still sort of has this weird like scholarly, I don't know. I had to like study 
other more scholarly poets, but she was just always someone I went to, um, for comfort, and, uh, I bought, I'm actually looking at it right now, I just bought on the road, like, a, um, new and selected poems, like, volume one of hers, and would just, like, pull it out and read something in the morning, and so when we were stuck at home in 2020, I started doing that again, um, and I just think that she has this gentleness and this humility to her work that brings you back down to basics, like how I'm talking about in the garden. It's like she reminds you to, like, you know, listen to the grass blowing in the breeze or, like, she, you know, connects you to the world around you in her work in this way that like when we're so busy and we're moving all the time and we can be very self-absorbed and by we I mean me and um (laughs) you know it's just we we all can when we're so busy um you forget how connected you are to everything else and I feel like she's never um her poems are all about connections and Mm -hmm. I really find a lot of comfort in that which one are you going to use in your wedding I haven't thought about that. I don't know. Time to start. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) I was, uh, I just got married in June and I couldn't use like the Mary Oliver poem I wanted to use because my best friends had like already used it and they were like coming to the wedding and felt like a cop out. So we didn't go that route. We used uh, Wendell Berry and uh, Adrian Rich. Oh, wonderful. I got the Wendell Berry from Kim. Nice. Yeah. Um, Very nice. Yeah. The one that I wanted to use was When I Go to the Woods. Which, mm. Yeah, that's. I feel like that's a showstopper. But anyways, <laughs> keep us posted. I'm writing that down so I can look at it later. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the Wendell Berry one we used was the Mad Farmer manifesto liberation front and then i can't remember which adrian rich poem we used yeah i love her i married a woman and i was like we need a lesbian (laughs) well that's that's the the queen 21 love poems poem three and it's about being an old person oh yes that was right up my alley i think i have that book downstairs actually great the title track of your new album true north is a celebration of friendship and you describe it as a love letter to your friends Um, i saw the new yorker post about an article recently i haven't read the article about how covid changed friendships which i thought was like really true Um, And I'd love to hear how the pandemic changed friendships for you. Um, Well, that particular song I wrote, um, thinking of these three women that I'm in a group text with um, that are also songwriters. And in that particular microcosm of my friend group, um, I think it really brought us together. We had started this group text to sort of keep up with each other on the road and like commiserate until like, traumatic merch table stories and <laughs> all that stuff. Um, but it, it absolutely grew into a whole other thing. 
and um, absolutely was like a lifeline for a lot of us, you know, at different parts of the pandemic. And um, it was very nice to have this like safe space to commiserate on the unique kind of grieving that we all were doing and questioning that we were Mm. all doing um, with our jobs going away and trying to like figure out what to do with our time, how to think about our careers, our creativity, all of that. Um, and so those, those women, I mean, I've been friends with them for years and years, but I feel like we just fast forwarded, um, kind of the intimacy of our friendships through the pandemic with just, you know, that sort of time. But yeah, I wrote that song. Can you name them as Aaron Ray? Yeah, yeah. Aaron Ray, Kelsey Walden, and Michaela Ann. Um, and so they are very near and dear to me. And so I think it, it it's Kelsey that said that phrase or shared that phrase. And I kind of was like in one of the like pep talks of like, you know, we're going to make it through. Like y'all are going to be fine. You know, you're true north or whatever. And so one night it was like a couple weeks after John Prine died. And I was sitting down and writing that and was kind of like trying to think about something lovely to write in not that it's in his style, but that was, like, my sort of filter of, like, what would be, like, a kind little, you know, wish to mm. to write for them. And that's where uh, that song came from. Hmm. Um, I want to talk about having a partner that gives you space. Um, I remember my wife and I were thinking about getting married, and we were talking to somebody about that. And I was like, okay, so like when we get married and like if we have a family, that means that I just like have to like give everything up, right? And the the we were talking to a therapist and she was like, no. And I like couldn't <laughs> believe it. I'm like, what? Um, and you said that your partner gives you space in your relationship to create, to be a creator. So why is it important to have a partner that gives you that space? Um, I think... I know this because in previous relationships, I didn't have that space. And basically the result of not having that space is that I don't prioritize myself as an artist. And if I don't do that and take care of that relationship, then I'm miserable, Mm. (laughs) frankly. If I don't have the freedom to say like, no, I can't go out tonight. I have this idea or I need to be alone to recharge because I just got home from tour and I'm an introvert or... Um, you know, will you come do this really nerdy thing with me? (laughs) Like, you know, if I, if I don't have a partner that like understands that and encourages it, then I'm not able to be an artist, which when I'm able to construct my life to support that identity, it makes me a better person because I'm taking care of like a really fundamental part of myself, which is when I'm not creative, I'm miserable. So, Mm. uh, in order for me to be a good partner, I have to take care of that. And I'm lucky that I'm with someone who, um, knows that probably knew that about me before I even knew that about myself. (laughs) And, um, that like, you know, just gets it. You have a lovely aesthetic that, Currently, I don't know if this is all the time or if it's just because of this new record, your aesthetic is very flower-themed, your outfits, your bedspread. Mm -hmm. You love hanging out with some flower wallpaper. 
Um, also, you just like in passing briefly mentioned on Zach's podcast that you wanted to be a fashion designer when you were little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about fashion and the intention you put behind your aesthetic? Um, I, this was probably one of the first records that I had like a very, that I had a clear vision for it. I've never really had a visual element to my artistry. Like I've, I really have leaned on graphic designers and people with those tastes, um, before because I just kind of put my head down and make the songs. But with this one, I think in the message, you know, the mission statement of like, we're going all in. And I was like, we're going all in on the stuff that I like that maybe only I like. Like, I have no idea. Um, and that is like a little granny chic. It is a little extra. <laughs> it is quite, quite feminine, but like old fashioned feminine. Um, I mean, I'm also sitting here wearing like a Bruce Springsteen t-shirt and a top knot on my head. But um I think I just want, uh, I think to me, like, wearing that on stage and what I'm hoping that that sort of, like, aesthetic brings is, like, warmth and, like, Mm. delight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so even if I'm singing a heavy song, you're getting this, like, bouquet of a person to look at, at least. Um, And it just makes me feel good to be covered in that like spiritually it feels like you can't have that bad of a time if you look like a bouquet of flowers or at least that's my theory <laughs> yeah so true I remember in like February in Pittsburgh it's like very gray and I just started dressing I got these like electric blue uh like running shoes and I was yes. wearing like lots of salmon and pinks and these blue <laughs> shoes and I was like I feel much better it's very yeah true. Absolutely. And even like on the road, like you're wearing comfy clothes all day and then the transformation into this, like I always like change kind of last minute because it is like a, I'm putting on, I'm stepping into like performer mode and like it is like a, you know, it puts me in a mood to get a little bit dolled up in that way. I bet you and Aaron Ray have a good time (laughs) shopping or looking at each other's closets. We definitely, yeah, we've definitely sent uh some like photos on the road being like should I get this do you need this that kind of stuff (laughs) yeah she can pull off that like 70s glam like nobody's business I'm more of like an 80s uh secretary and she's like the 70s yeah like you're like nine to five that's the fine line yeah I'm a little bit nine to five got the blouses you know but yeah Yeah. we definitely have some stuff in common (laughs) well before I let you go let's do the lightning round are you up for the lightning round I guess so. Okay, here we go. Caroline Spence. Oh boy. What was the first song you learned on the guitar? Um, oh goodness. Maybe Cannonball by Damien Rice. Oh, okay. By, right. by myself? Wow. Yeah. What is your karaoke song? Uh, Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar. Wow, all right, these are good. Um, what is your <laughs> coffee order? Black iced coffee. Mine too. <gasps> mhm. Sometimes oat milk if I'm like, you know, mm. feeling not a hundred, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Who is your first celebrity crush? Uh, George Harrison. Circa Hard Days Night. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your favorite podcast? 
Ooh, my favorite murder. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. a, a divisive one, but yeah. My the Murderino. Murder. The Murderino, yep. Yep. Um, what was the last book that you completed? Last book you read? Um, Secret History by Donna Tartt. Uh, Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. Flying or Invisibility? hard i do kind of love to eavesdrop probably flying though flying i mean there's just only one answer yeah Um, (laughs) okay this is the last question where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited oh my goodness um oh gosh where have i been i have to think of like pre-2020 um oh Hawaii, we took uh, a trip there for my 30th birthday and we went on the road to Hana and there was a black sand beach with water that I'd never seen water that color. That whole day road to Hana um, was gorgeous. Yeah. Sounds beautiful. I mean, Hawaii is uh, the place that everyone goes to, but there's a reason. I've never been, you know, but gotta get there you should go yeah one time at least it was gorgeous yeah it feels like another planet caroline thank you so much for talking to me i had a blast i just adore your record um and now i'm like a super fan of you the person (laughs) i mean i was before but um yeah i had a great time and i can't wait to be best friends yeah same thank you for having me and for the thoughtful questions is nice this episode of basic folk was produced by me cindy house alex stanton composes our music basic folk is on the bluegrass situation podcast network you can find us wherever you listen or you can search on the sirius xm app for basic folk and you can find us at our website all the episodes are posted there at basicfolk.com. Thanks so much for listening. Please share it with a friend if you enjoyed what you heard, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.